Well, good morning. If you're joining us online, thank you for joining us online. Hey, um, after second service, if you're able, uh, we need to move all these chairs out. We're having some work done on the, the ceiling. I kind of wanted to say, let it drop. God would get those people who aren't paying attention during the sermon. But we have a staff, and it's a majority vote, and they voted that down. So if you could help us moving chairs out, we would appreciate that. There's dollies. We'll bring them out. If we could stack them out here and out there, that'd be great. We'd appreciate it. So um, a while back, I was reading an article, how to get the price you want. And here's what they said. You need to um, be willing to walk away. You need to be willing to go silent. You need to be, say, hey, I can pay in cash. There are all these kind of techniques they gave you to, to, to get that seller to come off the price they want. You're going to get something from them that they didn't originally want to give. That's innate. In human relationships, we do that. We, we talk about that. However, it's a problem when we bring it into our relationship with God. I think I'll bargain with God, maybe even manipulate God to get something that I really want that he might not want to give me. That's a bad idea. I'll put that up front. But I want to talk about why. What is so wrong with bargaining with God. We're going to talk about today. So if you've got a, a Bible, if you'd open it to 1 Samuel chapter 4, we'll start in verse 1 and we'll go through verse 22 with this question, what's so wrong with bargaining with God? Now, catch you up to speed, uh, First and Second Samuel, we're looking at this book, is, these books is the transition of Israel from a loose federation of states to a monarchy. Uh, we started with a woman, Hannah, who was infertile. She prayed. God gave her a son. She said, if you give me a son... I'll give him back to you. And in fact, she did his name Samuel. When she weaned him, he was in the temple. Well, Samuel is uh, rising, and he's going to be one of the prominent characters in this book. He has become the voice of God. Even as a lad, they realize God's speaking through him. Uh, Israel, as I indicated, will ask for a king. Later, we'll meet King Saul, and then we'll meet King David. One of the reasons they want a king is that they want strong defense. And they think if we can have a king, we'll be able to defend ourselves better. And that's a little bit of an affront to God, but he gives them their wish. But we meet kind of their constant antagonist, their constant enemy, the Philistines, starting in verse 1, wars them. And it says, Now Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle and camped beside Ebenezer while the Philistines camped in Aphek. So they will be a thorn in Israel's side until 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 4. Uh, 2 Samuel 5, when David finally defeats them for good, but here they are, ready to do war. Uh, verse 2 says, the Philistines drew up in battle array to meet Israel. When the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the battlefield. There's scholars debate, was it actually 4,000, was it four military units? The big idea is Israel got defeated and they got defeated soundly. And you'll notice this is a really succinct description of the battle. And when we started this book, we said this is not going to be a comprehensive history. It's going to be a focused history. It's going to be true, but it's going to be a history focused on Israel and their relationship with God. These narrators under the influence of the Spirit of God wrote so we could learn from their mistakes. Well, here's the conclusion of why they lost in verse 3. When the people came into the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Okay, they figured out 
It ain't the Philistines, ultimately, that cost them. It's the Lord. And something's wrong. Something's right. Why would God do that? Well, if you know anything about the history of the nation of Israel, when they came into the promised land under Joshua, they won their initial battle at Jericho. And they were warned, don't take any of the bounty. Well, one guy named Achan did. And they lost the next battle at Ai. It's kind of like, what happened? Well, they figured out. This Achan took it, and God dealt with him, and, and then they moved on. So they have this history of don't, we can lose battles because we're, we've given an affront to the Lord. Moreover, we've seen in uh, chapter 2 that Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are defiling the sacrifice of God. They're taking a three-pronged fork and sticking it in there, taking out stuff that doesn't belong to them. The meat's supposed to be boiled. They want it roasted, so they're taking it before. And when they're warned, they say, if you don't, we'll take it by force. Eli, their father, knows and has chosen not to do anything about it. And in fact, none of these guys taking from the sacrifice of God. They're taking what is not theirs in terms of morality. They're, they're involved with women immorally right at the, the door into the temple. Chapter 3 tells us that a word from God was infrequent in these days. Yeah, no joking. Yet, rather than deal with this issue, they're going to try and manipulate God. They're going to try and get God to do what they want, and that's what they do in the second part of verse 3. It says, let us take, our, take to ourselves from Shiloh the ark of the covenant of the Lord, that it may come among us and deliver us from the power of our enemies. We're not going to deal with our issues. We're going to get the Ark of the Covenant of God. This is a very symbol of His presence. And you know what? God will be obligated. I mean, we're taking that Hummer right into battle. God's not going to let us. We can't lose the Ark. That's the symbol of His presence. They're going to try and manipulate God to do what they want rather than deal with with their issues. I think it's going to work out for them. Well, we'll get there. But I think that's innate. We do that in our relationships, in our marriages, our parents. Our we do that when we go to buy and sell. So my parents took me to church as long as I can remember. And so I had an awareness of a creator God. At six years old, we moved to the Detroit area. At seven years old, I fell in love with the Detroit Tigers. That was my first love. That was the team that mattered to me. At the summer, I was seven years old, 1968. They had one of those miracle seasons. They won the pennant. They go to the series against the Cardinals. They go down three to one. And they come back, and they win three in a row and win the series four to three. And, and my MO, I would go to bed before the game was finished. I would go to bed nervous, so I would pray to God, please let the Tigers win. And here's what I was offering God, two things. I won't fight with my younger brother so much, and I'll be more helpful in the kitchen. The kitchen. I was a dish dryer. And so I would, God, I will do more dishes if you will help the Tigers win. Now, I don't think God cares a lick about a baseball game. And it's kind of a cute story, a seven-year-old boy, he loves his hometown team, and he's offering what he knows, but it's telling. Nobody told me to do that, to try and bargain with God. I just thought I would. We're older now. 
there's things we want that are a whole lot more serious than a baseball game. And I would argue we're prone to bargain with God. Our bargaining or manipulation of God says at least two things. One, he's going to hold out in his goodness. It says God is good, but uh, if we push the right buttons and tweak the right things, he'll, he'll show us more of his goodness. You believe that? Second, when we bargain with God, it says he's not sovereign. He's under our control. Let me give a little postscript to the, the story about the dishes. When we got married... I said, Hope, if you will cook, I will clean. So I became the dish man. I was outstanding in the sink. The boys come along. That becomes their chore. They've moved out. I'm back in the sink, and I'm better than ever. And you, you say, well, how sweet that you're serving your wife that way. Maybe, but I'm still paying on the promises I made in summer 68 to God to do the dishes. Israel's trying to bargain with God. How's that going to go? They're trying to manipulate me. Let's find out. Verse 4. So the people went to Shiloh, and from there they carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts who sits above the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. We know from past chapters that they've been in sin. They've been defiling the offerings of God. That should concern us that they're this close to the Ark, the symbol of the very presence of God. Verse 5, as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth resounded. And they are jacked. They are fired up. Why the ark? The ark is in camp. We got this. Ever been to Memorial Stadium for a football game? What happens when they come down for the tunnel walk? How do the players come out? How do the fans feel? Man, they are, they are pumped. I mean, they're giving the high five. We got this. Well, that's what we got right here. The ark has come in, and the music is going, and, and people are strutting. They, they think they got it. Well, this has an effect in the Philistine camp, too. Look, verse 6. When the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the noise of this great shout mean in the camp of the Hebrews? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. Oh, no. The Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp and they said, woe to us for nothing, nothing like this is, has ever happened before. What, what, why, why all the woes? Again, woe to us. Verse 8, who shall deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? Who are they? These are the gods who smote the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Now, they're just putting their understanding of God on the Jewish people. They think they've got gods. But they understand the gods of Israel are powerful. And this is the, I mean, they, they had nothing, and, and, and God brought them out with a series of plagues. This is what, what we're up against. This is, this is terrible. Verse 9, then take courage and be men, O Philistines, or you will become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been slaves to you. Therefore, be men and fight. Now, this has an impact on the Philistine. I mean, they're, they're, they, they realize that this is formidable. It's big. We better bow up. So how's it all play out? Verse 10. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. And every man fled to his tent. And the slaughter was very great, for there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. 
Again, the number is debated, but what's not debated is a resounding defeat. Verse 11, and the ark of God was taken. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Why'd they bring the ark into the camp? They wanted to win, right? They're going to win big. How'd that work out for them? Let me tell you, God remained in control. When he brought judgment on Eli for not disciplining his sons, he sent a man of God to pronounce judgment. He pronounced all these things. I'm going to cut your family off as priests. You're not going to have an old man that lives in the house. And just so you know, this is not a fluke. He said this. This is 1 Samuel 2, verse 34. This will be the sign to you which will come concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. On the same day, both of them will die. Israel was going to get their way with God. Didn't happen. God had his way. He won't be manipulated. We can't bargain with him to get what we want. So we started asking this question, what's so wrong? <laughs> what's so wrong with bargaining with God? We'll lose. We'll lose big, real big when we try and bargain with God. We'll lose and we'll lose big when we try and bargain with God. Now, what Israel should have been doing instead of bringing the ark into the camp is what are the sin issues? What about these two sons who are violating the sacrifice? What about the fact that we haven't had a word from God? What about that there is no vision from God? What, what's this about before you but didn't want to do that? We wouldn't do that, would we? Maybe you're working, 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 and you're working, I mean, you're not taking the Sabbath, you're not having time for your family, you're not having time for your friends, you're not having time for anybody. And you think, well, I, I'm making more money, so I'll just give that to the Lord. Here's the, here's the deal. It's hard for the pastor to say this, but God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money. He has the cattle on a thousand hills. And you're, you're bargaining because you're not dealing with that. That work is something about significance or it's something about worrying about... Um, Security, and, and, and maybe you need to go before Jesus and, and wrestle with that security or significance issue. Rather than trying to bargain with God, hey, you give a little here, I'll give a little there, we'll be okay. Or maybe you're in a dating relationship or in a close friendship with somebody who's not a follower of Jesus. They do not value Jesus. They do not prioritize Jesus like you do. And God's real clear on that. We need not to be intimately linked with people. But you've got it rationalize, well, I'll lead them to the Lord. You know, God needs me in the process. No, he doesn't. God is sovereign in the lives of every person in their salvation. And maybe for you, it's, a, it's trusting God for intimacy or significance. You're counting on this relationship where you should be counting on God. We don't bargain with God. We can't manipulate him. We'll lose when we try. There's a question for you. And we won't get to it until next week. Israel just lost the ark. And the Philistines thought, man, that, that's an all-powerful God. They, that's the God who beat the Egyptians. What do the Philistines think about now? About the God of Israel. How does he look? Kind of weak, don't you think? A little powerless. Do you have stuff that's going on in our culture right now? You think, where's God? 
seems kind of powerless in this. Come back next week. <laughs> we'll see what this powerless term intentionally in quotes God does about this whole ark thing. For now, Israel's still in reeling from this defeat, and it's still playing out. So in verse 12, we see now a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and dust on his head. Torn clothes, dust, sign of lament. When he came, behold, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road, eagerly watching for his sons. Nope, that's not what it says. Eagerly watching because his heart was trembling for the ark of God. He knew, he knew that shouldn't have gone into battle. Yet he had given up his credibility, his right to speak, and so it went. So the man came to tell it in the city, and the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, what does the noise, this commotion mean? Then the man came hurriedly and told Eli. Now, verse 15, Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were set so that he could not see. So the, the, the dust on the head and the lament, he's not seeing that. So he's hearing all this stuff. What's the deal? What's the deal? Doesn't sound good. Okay. The man said to Eli, I am the one who came from the battle line. Indeed, I escaped from the battle line today. And he said, how did things go, my son? Then the one who brought the news replied, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been a great slaughter among the people, and your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been taken. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell off the seat backward beside the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for he was old and heavy. Thus he judged Israel. 40 years. Curious, how's this bargaining thing looking right now? They're going to get God, you know, they're going to manipulate God. He's got to come through. Hasn't happened yet. Now the ark's gone, the very symbol of the presence of God. They can't see, seem, to, seem to beat the Philistines. How are they going to get that ark back? We'll find out next week. One more human response, starting in verse 19. Now his daughter-in-law, Phineas' wife, was pregnant, about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was taken and that her father-in-law and her husband had died, she kneeled down and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman who stood by her said to her, do not be afraid, for you have given birth to a son. But she did not answer or pay attention. She was on her way to passing away. And she, the attendant, called the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken and because of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, The glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God was taken. One more time. How'd the bargaining turn out? How'd the manipulation go? Listen. Listen, when you and I attempt to bargain with God, when we attempt to manipulate God, it says at least two things. We don't believe in the total goodness of God. Maybe there's a little bit more goodness we can squeeze out of Him if we push the right buttons. Second, it says we don't believe God's sovereign. We control Him. He doesn't control us because if we say the right thing, do the right thing, push the right thing, then, then we'll get there. We've termed or titled this series Reliant. 
people relying on God, don't, don't try and bargain with God. Don't try and manipulate him. Because he's sovereign and he's good and, and we'll take it at that. And sometimes we don't understand everything. But we won't bargain. Now, now that's different than in God in your mercy and your goodness. Would you heal somebody? Would you get me a job? Would you get me a date? Would you get, yeah, okay. I'm okay with, that's different than you owe me. God, I'm broken. I need you. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm asking in your mercy and grace, but it's different when we think we're going to bargain. I'm going to give you this, and you're going to give me that. See, self-reliant people, I mean, I, I got to do something. It's, it's about me. It's about me getting something out of God's. Your bargaining, my bargaining, my manipulation, my attempt to manipulate, your attempt to manipulate tells us we're, we're living a self-reliant life. It's about me getting something out of God. Before Jesus went into public ministry, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. And he was tempted there, and the devil comes along and says, you know, it's been 40 days. Um, why don't you ask the, why don't you turn these stones into bread? And Jesus said, hey, you don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of God's mouth. And, you know, I mean, there, there was an attempt for Jesus to bargain there. Maybe God could we cut it down to 30, or, or maybe Jesus could go on one of those diets, you know, where you only eat like six hours a day. Lord, can I do, Father, can I do 18 hours and eat six? Up? Or trying to bargain, because he's hungry. No, didn't do that. Then the Lord came along and he said, uh, or the devil came along and said, hey, you know, nobody's recognizing you for who you are. Why don't you throw yourself down and the angels will catch you and we go, oh. In fact, we know Jesus' brothers, half-brothers, didn't believe he was eternal, the eternal son of God until after he resurrected from the dead. A lot of people weren't recognized. Hey, Jesus, I mean, we're, we're a culture. You got to know who I am. Jesus didn't try and bargain to get any recognition. He said, at God's time, after my death and resurrection, I will be raised up, but I'm not going to push the timeline. Third one was, if, if you'll just worship me, Satan says, I'll, I'll give you a part of this kingdom. I'll, you can have the whole kingdom. And Jesus didn't try and, well, maybe I can get part. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not going there. I worship only Father, Father alone. Jesus modeled, you don't bargain with the Father. But we do. At least I do. And maybe we're not that different. So as I was finishing graduate school, I believed God was calling me to vocational ministry. And so in the summer of 1984, I went out to training in Fort Collins, Colorado. And I wanted two things from God. One, I wanted to be in campus ministry. And they had told us when we went to training, if you have a technical background, which I did, chemical engineering undergraduate, we may need you in computer services, which means you would go to headquarters in San Bernardino, California, and then you'd serve there a couple years, then you'd go into campus ministry. Well, I didn't want that. I didn't want to be in computer services. I wanted to be on a campus. Second, Texas A&M, where I went, was this prototypical big state university, and I had a great time doing that. My whole social network was campus. I wanted to recreate that in ministry, so I wanted a major university in the South. So I picked, I said, major university in Texas. I was thinking University of Texas or Texas Tech. Oklahoma, I was thinking Oklahoma State or Oklahoma. So I said, Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida. I said, if you can't do that, I grew up in the Midwest, Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, maybe Purdue, if God had blessed me, Wisconsin or Illinois. I think I gave them 13 states. And so the night comes for your place. Oh, and here's, here's, here's what I was bargaining with God. Here's, here were my three chips with God. I just had a very difficult conversation with my dad where I told him I was going into vocational ministry, and that was hard. So God, you owe me for this hard conversation. Second, I was going to be making a whole lot less money 
as a missionary than I would as a chemical engineer with an MBA. And third, and maybe hardest of all, I was going to have to ask people for that. So God, I, 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 I'm giving you these three things. You owe me this campus ministry on a major university in the South. And I opened the placement up, and it says campus ministry, good, but it says the University of Northern Colorado in Greeley. And we had a 24-hour discipline of silence so we don't go spewing things. So the next night, I meet with the area director, and he says to me, if you're from Wisconsin, Colorado's pretty far south. That was his explanation of why I got Colorado. And I think, buddy, you're geographically challenged. But he explains to me, we're trying to rebuild the ministry, blah, 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 blah. Well, maybe. So then somebody says, hey, Andy, you know, we're in Fort Collins. I didn't even know where Greeley was. It's only 40 minutes east of here. Let's drive over and see it. So we did the next day. And I thought, oh, 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 we missed out on our understanding of what a major university is. Um, Greeley was a much smaller campus than A&M. And I, I remember sitting in front of the science building. And I thought, you know, chemistry is a branch of science. And at Texas A&M, we had three chemistry buildings. Each one five to ten times as big as your science building. We missed on the definition of a major university. Let me give you the upshot of those years in Colorado. First, I had to learn some very painful but necessary lessons about not finding my significance in my performance. The ministries in Colorado were much smaller than those in the South, and particularly at A&M, and my ministry was much smaller. And it was really hard for me. About a year and a half in, I went to my director, and I was in tears, and I said, I need to quit. Why? Because it's bad stewardship for anybody to give money to me. I'm terrible in ministry. Well, I think you might be overreacting here, Andy. But it, they were hard lessons. My worth is not in my performance. Second thing, 1988, because of the proximity of the three campuses, Greeley, Fort Collins, and Boulder, I became an acting director in Greeley, and uh, our area, three-state area, the office was in Boulder, and that area director came up and heard me speak a couple times, and he took me to lunch after that. And he said, has anybody ever told you you have a passion and gifting for communication? No, I haven't. Well, he said, as we move you to make, uh, being a director, I, I want you to think about building the ministry around that gift. But then he said, Andy, you know, we all leave at some point. If and when you leave, have you thought about a preaching ministry in a church? No, never thought of that. We said, I think about developing this gift, and oh, by the way, there's a major evangelical seminary in Denver, which is just an hour away, and that would start my journey on the road to seminary. Third, finally, I spent 15 years out there, 85 to 2000. I was overseas for three of those years. I developed friendships. I didn't think that, until we moved to Lincoln, that became my home. That's the place I'd lived the longest. I've gone back to Colorado every year since we've been in Nebraska. People have come to see me because of those friendships. Listen, listen, I wanted to bargain God out of that. I had chips to offer. I had a better plan. I'm so glad God doesn't bargain. Where are you trying to bargain with God right now? What do you have, and I'm putting the term in quotes, that you're offering him? Listen, we have nothing with which to bargain. We can throw ourselves on the goodness and grace and mercy of God and ask. That's a different thing. But to think, God, you owe me? Because of this, no. We lose when we try and bargain with God. For those of you who are here and are not connected, if you're watching online, I'd like to ask you to consider this. If you've kept the body of North Point 
distance. And, and you may have reasons that bargain, you're bargaining with God. Would you consider becoming more connected? You know, before service, we were out here, and the worship team had finished practicing, and I just saw the conversations there. What we have to offer this community is relationship. God is a relational God, and it is fleshed out in his body. And we are intentionally trying to draw people into this. This afternoon at the lake, would you consider coming out that you might meet some people? Would you consider serving? Where? Any, I mean, these guys who do the um, ushering back here, people who work in the coffee bar, they make friends. People who serve in youth ministry, student ministry. Would you find, and, and we've got our reasons why I'm busy, this and that. Would you stop bargaining with God in that area and find a way to get more connected? We need you, and you need us. Because we're on a mission. We've got a purpose. Doesn't matter what we're doing, where we are. That's to reach our community, to be Christ in our community. Would you find a way to be more connected that together we can have a bigger impact? When our boys were little, sometimes just to get them out of the house, particularly in the winter, I'd take them to a uh, playland. Uh, and in this one, we were over at the McDonald's at uh, 48th and Van Dorn. And there was one other boy there playing. And Oh, our kids are, I don't know, Chris and Drew were in there 15, 20 minutes, whatever. And, and I guess, I think it was the little boy's grandma comes in and she says, Billy, it's time to go. And what does Billy say? No. And Billy says, 15 more minutes. No, Billy, uh, it's time to go. Well, if I come, wait, well, can you, 10 more minutes. Billy's trying to bargain. I don't know if it was a ma or grandma or aunt or the, the parent, in the custodial person in charge. He's going to bargain with her. And she's not physically fit to go up and get him. So he's just sitting up on top, spewing out 12 minutes, 10 minutes, 8 minutes. And I thought, yeah, I don't think I want my son seeing this, so we're going to go. And I don't know how that ended. But I'm guessing when Billy got home, it didn't end well. Because when mama or grandma or auntie says it's time to go, it's time to go. No bargain. If that's true with a parent or a grandparent, how much more with God? No bargaining. No bargaining. Why? We lose. <laughs> we lose big when we try and bargain with God. Instead of bargaining with God, would you focus on his goodness? There, there's not any more you can do to wring any more goodness out of God. And when you focus on his sovereignty, he's in control, and he will not be controlled by you or by me. God is good, and he's sovereign. Let's rest in that.